right. We've been tackling some of these tough questions. Those are great questions that, that they interviewed people on the street and some of the, some of the questions they had. And, and, and those are some real uh, struggles that, that people go through. And I think when, when we look at God and we, we look at some of these struggles, especially when we talk about science, um, I think we, we, we think there's this huge tension between those two things. And, and, and I think we, we, we believe that we can't um, believe one for the other. And, and the big problem is if, if, if I have a belief in God or a faith, can, can science actually mix with that? Do, do, you, do you have to have one without out the other? Uh, and, and, and I believe, I really do believe that's, that's, that's a myth. Uh, you know, maybe to sit in a science class, whether in a public school setting or maybe at a secular university means that the discussion of maybe intelligent design or a creator is, is off limits. And, and the discussion of this usually is, is off the table. But, but, but here's, here's the, the problem um, that, that I want to kind of just dig into today. And, and hopefully that we can understand this, that we can actually look into science and say, wow, there is some amazing things here that actually point to something that is very particular and very specific that we can actually see kind of a handprint of something that's going on behind the scenes that is amazing. And that's what I kind of want to bring out today in our discussion uh, today. And, and, I, and I believe here's, here's the problem. If we dr- drill down a little bit, a little bit deeper today, um, I think what we end up doing is we take science... In the study of science, my, my son is studying science at, at the U of R, uh, geomechanics. I have no idea what he's doing. I mean, he shows me his work. He shows me all his math stuff. And I'm like, okay, whatever. But he loves science. And so we love to talk about these things together. So I love studying science and creation and the universe. I mean, those things are so interesting. And, and do we have to just take that off the table when we talk about God? But here's, here's the problem. Here's, let's just, can we just get right, can we go right to the bottom? Let's just go right to the bottom of the issue. Here's what I see the bottom of the issue. We sometimes, we take science and we lump it in with naturalism. And, and many believe that science and faith can't be mixed. And maybe in the public realm, this is what we are, tend to be taught and so as, as Christians, as followers of God, this can become a quandary. Do I have to actually check my brain at the door to, you know, in order just to have, just to have faith and faith and just check my brain at the door? Or, or can science actually corroborate what we believe about God? And guess what? The answer is no, no, the answer is yes, it can. And that's what I want to, that's what I would love to dig into today. And so can we actually use science and its disciplines to support our belief in God and the reality of God? And the answer is absolutely yes. I like what C.S. Lewis um, has to say about this. Look at, what he, look at what C.S. Lewis says here. He says, man became scientific because they expected law in nature. And they expected law in nature because they believed in the legislator. That's a great quote. So, so actually, we, th- there is law. There is order um, within nature. And they expected that. And that's why we began to study it. So, so the question is, what is, what is the tension, Pastor Bard? What, what is the real tension that, that's going on here? Well, the tension is not necessarily between God and science or faith in science. 
That's not the tension. At the root of this tension is this. It's whether God created the earth or whether it was done naturally. Okay, that's where we get the tension. Let me just, let me just give you a couple passages here right off the bat that I love. Psalms 24, 1 and 2, Psalm of David. He said, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so let me, let me give you some definitions here right, right off the bat. Um, natural evolutionary science assumes this. It assumes that more complex life forms evolve from less complex complex forms through the process of natural selection. Okay, so that's what natural evolutionary science teaches. Now, now here's the issue. Here's the rub. Here's where we get into the tension. Here's the rub. The rub is this, is evolution, and what it's done is, has turned into a philosophy. And that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit here. And I will quote some very prominent evolutionary scientists to show you why I mean this, that everything has to have a natural cause, that life is solely the product of happenstance with no one guiding it except for chance. There's nothing behind it. It's, it's completely by chance. There's nothing guiding it. It's, it's, it's just all natural. And that's where you get the division. And so this is where um, basically you get, you know, that, that a blob, right, turned into this. Bob the Builder. That's where we, I just, I love Bob the Builder. So that's where we kind of just say, if there's nothing behind it, you just get this blob and then all of a sudden you get Bob, you get Bob the Builder, right? You get us all sitting here and we're all chatting and talking. And, and, and so that's where, uh, the issue is that that's where the problem is. And this is, this is, this is leaves no room for God. Everybody say bye to Bob. Bye Bob. See you later. Okay. So here's, here's what I want you to see. Naturalism is the belief that everything happens from natural causes. Just random mutation. No God, no creator, no intelligent designer. So, so even if science points to a creator, those with a naturalistic worldview will not allow it. So, so here's, here's, here's where the heart of the argument lies. That's why I want to just jump right in this right away. Naturalistic evolutionists say, if, if, if you believe in a designer, then the, cl- the conclusion must be drawn that, that there's a creator. If there's a creator, then the next set, step must be there's a God. And if there's a God, we get into religion, and then you know, I'll have to give an account for my life. And we just don't want to go there. So we, we don't want to leave the open door open for creator and religion. We just want to shut that door and just say, let's just leave it to uh, natural selection. So I just want to... I want to poke that a little bit. I want to poke that bear a little bit and get a little philosophical with you today. Because I, 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 I want to look, is that completely true? So what keeps neo-Darwinists to continue to believe in these theories when many of them have not been proven? There, there's a reason why. Because they would rather hold their philosophical presuppositions than to open themselves to the possibility of a creator. Let me give you a great example. There is a Harvard University biologist uh, Richard uh, Lewington, brilliant man, and he had an article published in the New York uh, Review of Books, which he admitted that he works 
from a naturalistic and atheistic point of view and that that belief and, and it has the explanations in everything he studies. Okay, when I read that to you, everyone's like, okay, no surprise there. But what he says next is staggering. This is what he says, says next. He claims that his atheistic and naturalistic views come first. Everybody say, whoa, pump the brakes, pastor, pump the brakes here. This is what he says. Brilliant man. He claims that his atheistic and naturalistic views come first. And this is what drives his science. So his faith position predetermines his science. And this is why so many in our world, they believe in this type of thinking or philosophy. The reason why he has come to this conclusion is this. I quote him. He says, we cannot allow the divine foot in the door. And he goes on to say, to appeal to an omnipotent deity is to allow that at any moment, the regularities of nature may be ruptured, that miracles may happen. As Fonzie would say on happy days, a Zactamundo. That's exactly what we believe. We believe in a creator that miracles can happen. He, he's saying if we, if we allow that, if we allow for a creator, then at that moment, uh, those things are going to be ruptured and then, and then miracles may happen. And so we don't, we don't want to go there. We want to shut that door and let our philosophies and our, and, and our presumptions just assume that none of that can occur. Um, Richard Dawkins, an evolutionary biologist uh, in his book, The God Delusion. Once again, Richard Dawkins, a brilliant, brilliant man, um, atheist. He says, he says, even if there were no, I'm quoting him, even if there were no actual evidence in favor of Darwinian theories, we should still be justified in, per, in preferring over all rival theories. What? Is his, let me ask you a question, is his science driving what he believes. No. And so that's why I just want to kind of give you the other side. Their science is not driving what they, what they believe. It's really their presumptions about this, their presuppositions, their philosophy in their worldview. So can I ask you a question? Is that a science question? No, that's a philosophical belief. And this is a philosophical presupposition. And here's, here's what I would I would tell those of you who are, are followers of Jesus, and, and we, we struggle with this debate, and you may go on YouTube, and you're like, man, I don't know if I can answer these questions, and they're so tough, and they've got, you know, they've got some good arguments there. Listen, I would tell you, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, like my, my son Colby, um, I would say study science, pursue science with all vigor, and use it to learn more about God and what he, what he has created. I would tell you, go for it. Great, great, um, great, great study. And we all have ways in which we look at our world, but, but some questions are outside the scope of science. So the questions we need to ask ourselves, here are the three greatest questions we can ever ask ourselves, is, is why do I exist? Science can't answer that. What is the origin of life? Science can't answer that. Uh, what about evil and love and those things? Um, science can't answer that as great as, as a, a source of study that it is. But many will try to answer those questions through science, but it just doesn't make sense. In fact, Richard Dawkins um, has the idea 
about the questions to origins of life. And I quote him again. He says, maybe aliens seeded the earth. That, that's, he just, that's, that's what he resorts to. And, and, and the universe and its, 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 its expanse of the universe should really, if you really think about it, should humble us. The, the universe actually, and this is where I want to drill down on today, the universe actually gives us clues to something very special and unique. And this is what I want to use the, the study of creation as a reason for God as our creator. So there's a reason for God as our creator, and God gives us these clues not only through his word but through his creation. And we believe that God created the world, and he gives us this wonderful clues and his creation on what a, a, a big God and, and a wonderful God he is. So let's look, in, let's look at the reasons for God as creator. Um, let me give you a couple of things here. First of all, I want us to understand that we live in a very unique and privileged planet. The earth itself is so unique and incredibly special. Everything about our planet, if you think about it, is amazing. Everything has to be in, in just the right order. If anything is out of balance, it just ends life. And so if you think about it, we kind of live on a Goldilocks planet, right? It's, it's, it's not too hot, not too cold. We, we actually can live on this planet. And there are so many variable, variables that have to, have to happen for us just to be sitting here today and breathing. And it's just amazing to me when you, when you begin to study this. Uh, Kenneth Richard Samples gives some insight to these variables. He says, our physical universe is distinct. The laws of nature exhibit order, patterns, and regularities. The law of nature are uniform throughout the physical universe. Our physical universe is intelligible. There's perfect. It's not random. It's, it's intelligible. We see something going on here that's amazing to us that points to something deeper. The more we know, the more we see in order and the, and the, and the patterns shout to a creator from the expanse of the universe to somebody that's a molecular biologist and understands molecules. Everything has order. It's amazing when you begin to study this. So let me, let me, let me emphasize the more we know, which, which Darwin in all his studies and his theories, he was pulling from at the time. But Darwin didn't understand many things that we know today, especially in molecular science. So what is true is this. The more we've discovered, the more I believe it points to a creator. So science is not the enemy. Philosophical naturalism is. And so let me just, I want to give you just some convincing arguments that, that, that kind of put holes in naturalistic philosophy. Not science, but this philosophy of naturalism uh, and, and, and for naturalism that gives us meaning in our world today. So let me, let me poke some holes in that today. And it's through a study called Anthropic Laws or Principles. Okay, so let me, let me, let me just give you some things. These are, this is really interesting for those of you that geek out over this stuff. You're going to enjoy it. Others, you can take a nap right now, but let's just look at this because this is, is really good. And so let, let me explain what anthropic means. It's basically relating to human beings and their existence. There are certain things that have to be in perfect order for you and I to exist on this earth. So the principle means law. So anthropic principle means relating to human beings to their existence. Principle means law. So God created everything in perfect order so that we could live on this privileged planet. God created everything in perfect order so that we could live on this planet. So an anthropic principle is basically a law of human 
existence, a law and human existence. So the anthropic principle helps us to see that the universe appears to have been fine tuned for our existence here on earth. And it's well known that our existence in this universe depends on numerous cosmological constants and parameters whose, numer- uh, uh, whose values must be within a certain narrow range of values for us to exist. If any of those variables are out of sync, we can't exist on this earth. So I want to give you some examples here. The, the, basically, the extreme improbability that so many va- variables would align so auspiciously in favor merely by chance has led some scientists and philosophers to propose instead that there's a creator, that there was a God who providentially engineered the universe to suit our specific needs. We live on a very unique and particular planet. So let me give you a couple of examples here. Once again, for those of you that geek out over this stuff, you're going to love it. For the rest of you, just nod your heads like you understand. Okay, just say, oh, that's cool, Pastor. Let me just nod your head like, shake your head like you understand. So let me, let me give you an example of a proton. I remember protons in high school science. Okay, I got a picture of it for you there on, on the screen. Okay, there we go. All right, here we go. Let me give you an example of a proton, how finely tuned a proton is. Now, protons are positively charged subatomic particles, which, along with neutrons, form the nucleus of an atom, which are negatively charged uh, uh, electron orbits. So there's your picture for you, okay? Just shake your head like you're getting it. Okay, Pastor, yeah, I'm with you so far. Okay, now here's the interesting thing about this. Whether by providence or fortuitous luck, depending on your perspective, protons just happen to be 1,800 36 times larger than electrons. Hmm, that's interesting. If they were a little bit bigger or a little bit smaller, we would not exist because atoms could not form the molecules we require. So how did protons end up being 1,836 times larger than electrons? Hmm, that's interesting. Why not 100 times larger? Why not 100,000 times larger? Why not smaller? All of the possible variables... How did protons end up being just the right size? Was it luck or was it planned? Hmm, that's interesting. Or how is it that protons carry a positive electrical charge equal of that of the negatively charged electrons? Interesting. If protons did not balance electrons and vice versa, we would not exist. They are not comparable in size yet are perfectly balanced. Did nature just stumble upon this? Or did God ordain this for our sake? What, does, what else does science say about the earth and the universe? Not only the example of, of the neutron, but let's look into our solar system. Let's look into our universe. I got a picture of there for you, for our universe. Let's, let's look into this. Here's, here's, let me just give you three examples here of our universe, how finely tuned our universe is. Let, let's look at just the earth in our place in the solar system. If we were much further from the sun, our planet's water would freeze. If we were much closer, we would boil. Is this just one of those numerous, this is just one of those numerous examples of how privileged our planet is in the solar system, which allows for life on 
earth. And there's so many things just, I mean, there's so many things that I could get into just our sun alone. And people say, well, you know, there's so many other suns in, 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 in our universes that we see. That's correct. But for some reason, our sun is just perfect. It gives us just the most, enough radiation and not radiation so that we don't all fry. It, it's amazing how perfect our sun is fine-tuned for just, because it just, you just can't it'll just throw a sun in there and you're going to get life. That's not it. It has to be perfect in every way so that we don't fry on this earth or get too much radiation. Even our sun is fine-tuned. That was just extra for you, not in your notes. So I just threw that out there for you. Let me, let's look at a second thing. Our, our, our solar system in the place in the galaxy is amazing. For instance, if our solar system were too close to the center of our galaxy or to any of its spiral arms at its edge, or any of the clusters of stars for that matter, our planet would be devastated by cosmic radiation. It's another example. Let me give you a third one, because you're asking. Okay, I'll give you a third one here. Even the color of our sun, this is amazing. If our sun was much redder, which redder is actually a word, I looked it up. Okay, I was like, that doesn't even sound correct grammatically, but redder. If our sun was much redder on the one hand, or bluer on the other hand, photosynthesis would be impeded. Photosynthesis, if you remember, is the natural biological process crucial to life on earth. Oh, I could go on and on and on about how fine-tuned all these things have to occur just to have life on earth. All of these facts come from science. Science is our friend. I love science. It's our friend. And so it's not, science is not the enemy. It's the philosophical belief of naturalism that comes against us, which I explained some of these brilliant scientists use to explain their reasoning for these things. So science is not the enemy. Science is our friend. And that's why so many scientists and many of those who are molecular biologists have come to the conclusion of, of an idea or an intelligent design for this reason, because we've come to know so much more about life in our universe that we could ever imagine. Um, I like what, uh, like, I like what Fred uh, Hoyle says concerning this. He says the probability of life arising on earth by purely natural means without special divine aid is less than the probability of a flight worthy Boeing 747 should be assembled by a hurricane roaring through a junkyard. <laughs> just, just feast on that for a little bit. I mean, here, let me just, here's the issue. I think many times uh, we might be, if, if you're a faith follower of Jesus, you might be looked down upon thinking that um, your, your thinking is futile. It's, it's, it's simplistic. You're checking your brain at the door to believe these things. And it's not. There are brilliant men who are followers of Jesus who have come to these conclusions. If, if you, let me just, I've listened to so many um, debates um, uh, of, of those that are persuaded through uh, a creator belief and those who are, their philosophy is, is um, naturalistic. And one person I would really encourage you to listen to is William Craig Lane, just a brilliant man. And I, he, he does, he's not shy much, you know, I have a P for a brain. So I, you know, these men are, have studied this. They're very brilliant. And he does not shy away from, from just 
debating and having conversations with those on the other side. And these are brilliant talks. And I would just encourage you to go on YouTube or, or look up William uh, Lane Craig for yourself. And, and he's got a podcast and you can listen to some of these debates. They're just really interesting. And I was devouring them over the last month. And they were just really interesting to listen to. And I think what, what it comes down to is, is really opening, opening our minds and our hearts to believe that, that, that our our thinking is futile as, as people. That there's, there's a finite thing that only so much that we know. And I think the problem for man is when he trusts within himself and leans on his own understanding, that's where we get into trouble. And God, in his word, has expressed to us, listen, I shout who I am through my revelation of my creation. And the more we look into this, the more we see God's handprint in his design. So where do we go with all this? You're like, okay, pastor, these are all great, you know, great facts. And, uh, the, you know, this is interesting. But here's where I want to go with it. Here's, here's where I want to conclude with this with you today. I, I, want, I want you to, to seek it for yourself. You know, there, there are, are great people who have studied this and who struggled through this, one being C.S. Lewis. He, he, C.S. Lewis was an atheist, and he says, I, I came into the kingdom of God kicking and screaming. That's his, that's his testimony. <laughs> I love that. I mean, uh, you know, there, there, there are, are men such as Lee Strobel who went out to disprove because his wife became a Christian. He goes, you know, I'm going to disprove that. As, as he went out, he goes, I can't find evidence against who Christ is. And he's wrote amazing books. Many of you have read them, The Case for Christ, Case for Creation, Case for Faith. Um, great things to read. And I, I, here's what I would say to you. Uh, for those of you that are walking through this and maybe just struggling with this and saying, geez, I, I, I didn't really think about the other side because we're, you know, we, we, we tend to hear one side so much. Even as a Christian, if, if you believe and you're like, yeah, Pastor, I'm okay. I believe God created it. But, but I want you to study it for yourself. Dig a little bit deeper. And, and, and understand why you believe this, that it's just not, you're just not believing it. You say, I just believe it, you know, God said it, and that settles it. You know, that's okay. But if someone's looking for answers, that doesn't give them answers. And so I want you to be studious in your study of this also to get answers. Just like I, I said to you, my son Colby, when he was 12, just said, Dad, how, how do you know that the word of God's the word of God? And I said, because it is, and leave me alone now. No, I didn't, you can't brush people off. I said, Colby, here, here. I gave him college-level books to read, and he studied it for himself. He read Darwin's Black Box by molecular biologist Michael Behe. High-level stuff. He read it. We talked about it. I let him ask questions. The worst thing you could do is shut somebody down who has questions. Don't do that. And I think maybe as Christians, we've blown it many times because either we get defensive or we may not know the answer to it. So we get defensive because of that. And then we just get rude, I think. Let's not be that. Let's study it for ourselves. Listen, I don't have all the answers to everything. But here's the thing. When you begin to study it, then you, begin, you can begin to articulate what you believe about these things in a loving and gentle way. And here's the thing that I came to the conclusion. Because I grew up in a, you know, Christian family where this was, you know, this is what we, I, we went to church, but we, you know, it was just something we did. It was a cultural thing. 
And I can remember when I was young, I, I would look up and I would say, is there a God? Is this stuff real? I had questions. And I'm so thankful that somebody let me ask questions. Because I don't think I'd be here today as a pastor if someone didn't let me ask questions. Or that someone didn't give me answers to my doubts and let me seek it out myself instead of just shutting me down. I was listening to a podcast um, of, of William Craig Lane debating a, a brilliant scientist from uh, Berkeley, California, who, who was an atheist, more agnostic. But he said this is the reason why he didn't believe in God. He said when he was a young boy, he was out hunting with his dad. And he asked his dad, he goes, Dad, I, I don't think I, I believe in God. What, what's the proof for God's existence? And this is what his dad said to him. Those are questions you should never ask. Shut them down. And at my heart, when I was listening, the, the man was so humble and just a nice, you could just tell he was a nice man, brilliant in his field of study. And I believe it goes all the way back to when he was a 10-year-old little boy hunting with his dad, and he just simply asked his dad, I don't know if I believe, and he shut him down. And I think from there, it kind of poisoned him. And so, you know, we, we, we've got to be a people that, that ask these questions that allow our hearts to be open and to be humble and to know for ourselves and allow people to ask those questions. I remember when I was, um, I became a Christian when I was 16. So we'd have a lunch table. We'd have these lunch table discussions at our high school. I went to Westeron. I graduated from Westeron to Quaid. And we'd have these like five or six guys. And they'd say, okay, Barden, I got a question for you. You know, and I was like a brand new Christian. You know, we, we have these little discussions, but it, it became our own little like table talk discussion during lunch about God and the universe. And then I, then I, I'd run back to church and say to my youth pastor, wait, they asked me this question. He goes, okay, well read about this Barton. And you know what it did for me? It challenged me to understand and to know why I believe what I believe. Not because of my parents' belief, because I wanted to know. So I would tell the guys, say, man, that's a good question. I don't know. I'll get back to you. They go, okay, we'll be waiting, you know? And then that was before Google. So you just, my Google was my youth pastor, my pastor of books. Right? I, we didn't have Google then. So that was my, my go-to. And these were great discussions that we had around a cafeteria table about God. So that's where I would challenge you. And, and let, me just, let me just leave you with just a couple things here that I just love about God, because here's the thing, here's the thing I want you to, to realize is the reason why I believe that we see such a fine tuned creation is for this reason that God wants to know you. It's almost like a treasure trail, a treasure map. He's showing you these things have been designed. So to show you that I've not forgotten about you. Because I've, I think about if, 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 I'm just a, if I'm just a mutation, it doesn't give me a lot of hope. I know I tease about blob to bob, but if that's what it is, then I don't have a lot of hope. And what I love about you know, the anthropic principles and the fine-tuning of our universe and who we are is that I understand that I'm not a mistake. And I want you to understand that you are not a mistake. And I believe that, 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 that this earth is not some random act, that everything in our universe speaks to God's creative power, and you're not some product of some just random mutation, but that it all leads somewhere, and it leads to him. 
it leads to him. That our physical universe, our physical universe reveals God's creative power and it leads us to him. Let me just read you a couple of verses just in closing today. And uh, let me read to you. I love Psalms 139. Let me just read you a couple of passages here. This is David speaking. He said, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know, when I sit down, you know, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways before a word uh, is on, uh, on my tongue. You know it completely. O Lord, you hem me in behind and before You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to, under, to obtain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely darkness will be able to hide me and, and, and the light become night around me, even in darkness, will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. For you have created my inmost being. Knit me together, my mother's womb. Now I can't see the words because I got too many tears in my Sorry. <laughs> I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Boy, that's powerful. When I get down and I feel discouraged and I feel like my life doesn't make meaning or make sense or makes meaning, I always go back to that because that's just, that's why I got emotional reading again because it just, I needed to hear that today. See, God in his word says, in the beginning, God was there. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And, and he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The creator of the universe came in the form of Jesus Christ, who is God, to show us his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. God displays his magnificent creative power as we look up in the universe, but then comes down to earth, literally dwelt among us, lived within our filth and our evil and our waywardness to show us God again. 
that God is not some faraway thing or faraway being or some concept or philosophical thing that you can't relate to, but that that we have a God that's touchable, a God with skin, a God of flesh, who came to take our place on the cross and give his life for us so we can come back to have a right relationship with God. So not only did God choose to display his glory through his creation, but live among us that we would see his glory through his eternal son, Jesus Christ. And this is where it all comes together. This is where it all makes sense for me. For this reason, Jesus helps us to make sense of this world that we live in, that we are not random mistakes. That's the hope that our world needs today. And, and to me, people say, well, well, pastor, you know, Christianity is, 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 is just a crutch and, you know, and, and, and it's just a, a make-believe thing and it's really nice. Listen, if you weren't here last week, listen to the message last week. The wonderful thing I love about Christianity is is that it's something that we can believe in because it's authenticated. I remember going back to my son Colby too. He's like, you know, dad, don't give me like the internal things. Just don't tell me that the Bible is the Bible because of what you read. Is there external evidences that prove that the Bible is, is true? I said, oh yeah. So I gave him all these external. He goes, wow, that's really neat. I never knew about all that stuff. I go, yeah. Just through archaeological studies and the reliability of it. There's not another document or writings and historicity that comes even close to the word of God. So at the end of the day, we don't have to check our brains at the door to believe what we believe. But here at the end of the day, I can give you all those great facts and figures, but at the end of the day, it's what God does with your heart and how he changes you and that he wants to know you. And each and every person will not have an excuse before God, before our creator. Because when we look at the expanse of our universe, we all have to give an account for our life. And Paul, the apostle Paul explains it so well in Romans 1 that none are without excuse because through God's general revelation, he shows us his creative power. But what man did in their futility they, they, they would rather worship the creation than the creator. So instead of finding out about the creator, they just began to study the creation, which they became futile and blind in their own thinking. And that's the danger if we're not careful that God has given, he literally shouts to us through his creation and wants us to know him. And not only did he do that, he brings us his very own son to walk on this earth <laughs> to show us the way back to him. That's why I'm a follower of Jesus today. Ravi Zacharias says this brilliant philosopher. He says this, he goes, there is not another philosophical approach or wor- worldview that I've ever studied. And he studied a lot of different worldviews before he, uh, as, as he, he researches all this as a very brilliant man. He says there's none that even comes close to the answers that Christianity gives for the problems of this world and the answers to this world and the answers to the origins of life. Amen.
gosh, I did not think I would get emotional on this, on this topic, right? Every other thing I do. But I want to pray for you today, and I thank you for just being so attentive to this. We're going to keep digging. We're going to keep, uh, you don't want to miss next week. Uh, we've got Russell Eisen speaking, our, our professor of all professors. So you're going to enjoy that one. He's been studying for a while. <laughs> We're going to bring the smart people next week. Um, I'll step aside for that. Um, but I want to pray for you today and, uh, and just allow God just to speak to your heart. And listen, I want to challenge you if, 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 um, I would just challenge you to keep, keep coming for those of you that may are new and just, just keep, I would just encourage you to keep seeking and keep asking questions. And, um, you know, we, we want to be open to that. Um, here's what I'll say before we pray. Um, there's a, uh, prayer response card. If you have any prayer needs today, please fill those out. We love you. We pray for those every Tuesday evening at our prayer time. It's also a response card and, and fill that out too. If you have any questions or you want to get together or, um, man, we love to talk about these things and, and help guide and, and direct you into some more, uh, material. Uh, so if you have any questions about that, you can fill that card out, leave it at your seat and, and uh, leave your contact information and we'll get back to you with some more uh, information that will help you in your research or any questions that you may have. Uh, we want to we wanna help you with uh, your journey in those questions. And uh, so we don't want to shy away from those. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Would you bow your, your hearts with me today? Father God, I just want to thank you for today and for your word and, and just for who you are and just thank you for science and how you've shown yourself through that. And thank you for uh, just uh, just not leaving us alone and not leaving us guessing that there is a creator who wants to know us. And thank you that you came to this earth through your only begotten son, Jesus, to show us the way back home to you, that we are not lost, that we are not random, that we are not alone in this earth. And I pray for anyone here today, God, that is just struggling or searching, that, God, they would just call upon you. They would surrender their life to you, Jesus. And I thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that you've shown us everything we need to know about you and about this world and about the answers of this world. So I thank you, Lord, for your word and just for those that are here today. Uh, Keep us searching, Lord, and, and growing. Keep us humble. Keep us loving people who ask questions. Help us not to be defensive, but to welcome those questions. Because I was one of those people that had all those questions. Thank you, God, for not giving up on us. You're such a good God. So may we just go in your presence today, and I just thank you, Lord, for just revealing yourself and loving us and giving everything for us. So we just want to be careful to ask all these things in Jesus' precious name, in Jesus' precious name. And all God's children said, amen, amen.